Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. We have a special episode today previewing the Clippers matchup against the Boston Celtics, a Friday night ESPN extravaganza that promises to be really good because the last three times these teams have met during the regular season have had super dramatic finishes. In anticipation, I hopped on the Celtics blog podcast with Adam Taylor to talk about everything you would want to know regarding the Clippers and the Celtics heading into this game. So we're going to jump right into that conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined by Sabrina Merchant, who's the chief editor at Clips Nation for SBNation.com. That's right, isn't it, Sabrina? You're running all things Clippers over there. That is correct. How's Thanks it been for having going? Me on. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. The, uh, the game against the Nets was meant to have been amazing. It's on my two-watch list over the next few days. How was that when you was looking at defense for assignments? Like, uh, how was Kawhi and PG doing going up against Durant and Kyrie and James? Yeah, so I thought uh, Kawhi did about as well as could be expected of any human guarding Kevin Durant. And I say that fully expecting that most people don't consider Kawhi to be human. But um, a lot of those shots were just, you know, Kevin Durant shooting over the top of him because he's seven feet tall and Kawhi Leonard is not. Uh, And I think uh, what you really saw with the Clippers was not so much that they didn't have the defensive personnel available. Like, I mean, obviously Patrick Beverly would help. I think they would just need to be a little less... uh, automatic with their switches against a team like the Nets because they were getting some cross matches that, you know, weren't weren't great. <laughs> Who's injured for you guys? Who is on the um unsure of if they're going to play list, we'll call it. Yeah, so right now it's just Patrick Beverly that's unavailable and then their, you know, their second round pick from this past season who hasn't played one lick this season. So okay, from the so normal rotation, just Beverly. Both teams defensive heart and soul in terms of Patrick Beverly and Marcus Smart were Exactly. Not- so we're going for a shootout is what we're going for. Exactly. <laughs> Boston have generally struggled with teams that have a penetrating point guard. Uh, they have done for a few years. It was the same again against Sacramento. We're recording this on Thursday. So it was the same again last night against the Aaron Fox. What's been the biggest struggle for the defense for the Clippers? Where are they kind of weakest? What's that, that one chink in their armor? I would completely agree with you. Honestly, it's it's funny that we're talking because I, I find so many similarities between the Clippers and the Celtics just in terms of, you know, being built around those two stud wings, right, with Kawhi and PG versus Jalen and uh, Tatum. And the Clippers all season have struggled with these little shifty point guards who can get into the lane. Uh, they also tend to have a lot of trouble with De'Aaron Fox. This past week has been just a, a nightmare of like Kyrie Irving, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Colin Sexton, all of those guys had really good success offensively against the Clippers. And it's only been magnified by the fact that Beverly missed the entire road trip and he probably won't be playing tomorrow. I think Kemba will be playing. I know that he's not been playing the back-to-backs, but I'm imagining they held him out against Sacramento so that they can have him ready to go against the Clippers. And uh, I don't know how well really he's been playing since he came back from that injury, but he's the type of guard that, you know, you know, the Clippers are willing to uh, give up those mid-range shots. And that's a place where Kemba is very comfortable <laughs> So that's the kind of thing where uh, you could see them directing more of their offense towards Walker if uh, things go that way against Clippers. So it might please you to know that Kemba has been rough for um, pretty much the entire time he's been back. Um, he had a game, so it wasn't against the Kings. My brain is shut. I don't know what's going on with me today. The game against... Was it the Warriors? Whoever was before. The Warriors, yes. See, you know it more than me. My brain is. I watch all the shot. Cali teams. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he had a thirty-three percent shooting night. And at the time, I was like, I need to write about this because he was coming off the back of like a four-point game. And I was like, this is a bounce-back game. He's played so well. And then when you start to go back through the film and look at the numbers, it was like 
if this feels like a bounce back game, then this is a really concerning kind of trend. So you might find that the concerns you have about Kemba are more are very kind of negated in terms of he's still rusty, he's not where he wants to be. You can see the shot just isn't falling for him, but he does still open up the floor for the other two guys, um, which is where the battle's really going to happen, right? It's going to be Kawhi versus Tatum and PG versus Brown. And we, there's been some fun matchups between those four guys over the last few years. So from a neutral standpoint, it's going to be a great game. My biggest concern with you guys is I really think that Kawhi can just tear them apart coming in mm. off angles. They've really struggled this year on a um, pick and roll defense. The Celtics seem to like to switch everything. Um, they've added in like this, um, it's like a hard show slash blitz, but they just don't communicate who's meant to be coming off that show afterwards. Mm. So you just end up with like this open man just waiting for the ball. Uh, <laughs> really frustrating. How has it been for you guys attacking in the pick and roll? Who's been your predominant scorer out of pick and roll situations? Yeah, so it's mostly been uh, Kawhi and PG, not so much pick and roll, but a lot of pick and pop uh, with Serge Ibaka um, now that he's in the starting lineup instead of Zubac. Uh, but then you will see some pick and roll with Zubac in the second unit. Uh, but uh, they, they really like the dynamism that that gives that starting unit, you know, having the floor space with five guys who can all shoot the three ball because, you know, you've got Nick Batum at the four as well, and he's just been killing it from the corners and very willing to let fly above the break where he's been, like, moderately less successful, but, you know, still above average three-point shooter. So yeah, there's a lot of space for those two guys to work with. And there's a lot of talk, you know, about obviously like the Clippers don't have a point guard, whatever. Uh, those two wings are perfectly capable ball handlers, especially when you give them all of that room to operate. <laughs> and uh, that that switching is an interesting, like if, if the Celtics are going to switch, like you're going to see a lot of Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice on Kawhi, which I, I don't think is going to end up very well for either of them um, <laughs> or against Paul George, frankly. So uh, you'd think that, this is a system where you'd want to play the pick and roll a little bit cleaner without switching. Maybe, you know, try to play it two on two without sending help because there's just so much shooting around the floor, you know, surrounding the two of them. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the the history of these two teams playing one another because I think the last three times the Clippers have played the Celtics have been just like among my favorite games of the season. Like you had that uh, game right after the trade deadline in February of 19 when you know, the, Clip, the Celtics went up really big and then Kyrie Irving had to come out and then the Clippers came back uh, all the way when it was like this team that wasn't supposed to compete after giving away their best player, you know, Tobias Harris. And then obviously we had the games last year. The one in L.A. was the first time Kawhi and PG had played together as Clippers and then ends up going to overtime and Jason Tatum ends up hitting this shot to send it in overtime where like Paul George is like fallen in front of him and <laughs> he takes the three to tie the game. And then the Celtics got their revenge in the Boston Garden where I don't think Patrick Beverly was playing that game. So it's kind of been like this uh, unfortunate reality that like Hayward missed one game last year, Beverly missed one game, and now we have obviously Beverly and Smart missing this one. Incidentally, Beverly does not like being compared to Smart. I know you brought that up earlier. <laughs> he he really despises that comparison, which I don't understand because it seems very flattering to me. Uh, but I guess when you've been in the league as long as Patrick Beverly is, you kind of uh, object to being compared to players who are younger than you who are not objective all-stars, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah, I know that there's been, um, I remember last year, um, Pat Bev kind of snapped at a Celtics reporter over being compared to Marcus Smart at that point. I thought that was just after a, you know, a tough game. He was tired. I didn't realize that as actually something that he had a, a little bit of trepidation towards. Like, oh, I've, do you know, I don't understand why, but I do get it. Marcus Smart should be compared to Pat Beverly, not Pat Beverly compared to Marcus Smart. I think just the age, right? Yeah. yeah. Just like, I was going to say, it was. It was a lot nicer than when Patrick Beverly was tried to compare to um, Matthew Dellavedova. He did not take kindly to that one at all. 
Is the videos for that? Can I find that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll send that to you afterwards. <laughs> send those to me. Um, so yeah, the Celtics have been switching. What I do notice is when Tristan Thompson's there, they might run like it's really funky. It's like um, they'll have one guy drop, so it'll usually be Thompson, and then they'll switch the other four positions, which makes it really hard because the predominant um, idea of switching is everybody rotates on a switch. Mm-hmm. So when you're anchoring one guy, it really does make it difficult to execute. My biggest concern there is more Zubach, just the way he's going to be able to just over overpower everybody they've got. Um, I think that he's probably going to be a little bit stronger than what Thompson is. He's going to have that height on him. Uh, mm-hmm. Rob Williams might do a good job in certain aspects, but when they when Zubach comes in after they've been defending a five out, and then they have to kind of turn into more of a drop scheme to kind to contain and play mm-hmm. that. That's going to be a, that's where one of my biggest fears is, is figuring out how to stop a resurgent Nick Batum while also cutting off rolling lanes and driving lanes. And you guys are just so deep from one through 10. It's ridiculous. And if you ask most Celtics fans, we're probably deep one through seven. And then there's right. a huge talent drop off afterwards. Um, so you guys are just going to be able to go so much deeper into your bench and keep your guys fresher that that's a concern for a, a lot of Celtics people I spoke to over the last few days. Yeah, I mean, I was watching the Kings game last night and like there was just a little too much Tremont Waters for my taste, you know, for a team that fancies itself a contender. But I guess that's what happens, you know, when you're missing your two guys who could ostensibly play point guard and Kemba and Marcus Smart. Um, but yeah, I I guess I'm curious, like, have has Tatum sort of uh, like figured out the whole free throw drawing thing yet? Like, um, like that, um, that's... I mean, it's a work in progress. He's getting to the line a little bit more. Um, he's more, the main focus with Tatum recently has been, um, figuring out how to facilitate, becoming a mm-hmm. ball handler, uh, giving the team that extra outlet that can create for others and make his teammates better. There was, um, something said today, Danny Ainge said on one of his radio appearances where he kind of mentioned Kawhi and Paul George and saying, look, they're, they're so good at being able to create for other guys and make guys around them better. Like you, ha- like you said earlier, you have no problem putting the ball in their hands. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they're trying to develop Jalen and Jason into. So the free throws are coming as a byproduct of him driving more. I don't think he's really figured out the art of it as in like, put your guy in jail just before you jump and then draw or veer mm-hmm. off that layup to try and draw. It's just more of a byproduct of, holy hell, Jason Tatum's driving the lane. We need to get some hands on him to stop him getting the dunk. But it is more along the lines of, um, yeah, he's facilitating more, but he's also getting some nasty turnovers because he's still figuring out when to pass and when to draw. Right. And that's why it seems like, you know, just in terms of Jalen and uh, Brown versus Jalen and Jason, sorry, versus, you know, the Clippers wings, they're just like a, a couple years behind, right? Like this type of playmaking was not visible in Kawhi's game. Even two years ago in Toronto, he wasn't making raids like this that he is with the Clippers. And Paul George, like I remember stories of him in Indiana where, Frank Vogel would like deny him. Like he said, you were not allowed to split the pick and roll because you turn the ball over like every single time. So you got to stop doing that. Uh, so I, I just think like, you know, these guys are what each of them, 29, 30, they're just much further along in their careers than Boston, but it's a nice like template to look forward to in terms of what you hope those two guys could become uh, when you're building a team around them. But yeah, like I, I think uh, the Clippers are definitely going to get creative with uh Tatum, like they don't like to send the same coverage every single time against all stars, right? Like they're going to blitz him a little bit. They're going to switch a little bit. They're going to, uh, I mean, probably just start with Kawhi and him one on one because why wouldn't you do that? Uh, <laughs> but, um, I, I would imagine that you're going to see like a healthy diet of different coverages throughout the game because Tyloo just loves to just experiment and it's regular season, right? So he's not going to just stick with one thing, even if it is working at the time. 
I mean, that's a really good point. You've just brought up Ty Lue. What are the differences between this year's Ty Lue coach Clippers and last year's Duck Rivers Clippers? What's the main differences for you? I think uh, it's really just an emphasis on ball movement. Um, with the Clippers last year, a lot of it was, let's just get the ball to Kawhi, you know, on an ISO, see what can happen. Uh, let's just get the ball to Lou on an ISO and see what can happen. And Paul George wasn't facilitating as much as he is this year uh, because there was, you know, a greater responsibility given to Lou Williams. But now there's much more of an understanding of like how to make the play after the play, right? When the first action breaks down, like let's run a side pick and roll or like, you know, set a step up screen or something like to keep the flow moving uh, after that first thing has been cut off. And you kind of see it in the sense that like the Clippers are one of the slower paced teams in the league, right? Like it takes them a longer time to get into their sets, even though like Tyloo's always saying they need to play faster, faster, faster. I, it just doesn't seem to be like their comfort zone yet. They like to methodically like find the advantage among the defense, like by moving the ball, by compromising, you know, the angles on both sides of the floor and seeing where the weak spot emerges. So uh, I think that's like the main thing is just that there's a lot more flow on the offensive end, right? Like you're not going to see as many isolations. You're not going to see as many like strict post-ups unless there's been like, you know, Kyrie Irving switches on to Kawhi Leonard. I'm like, yeah, now Kawhi Leonard's going to post up because like that's, that's the objectively right play to make here. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's what it is. It's just, a, it's a lot more movement. And then the spacing too, because like, I think most people expected Zubach to be the starter this year when he came back, especially because he had such a great postseason relative, you know, to Montrezl Harrell, who's no longer with the Clippers, but they brought in Ibaka and they want to space the floor. They want to have five guys who can shoot at all times. There's a lot more pick and pop than there was last year. Like even Patrick Patterson has a role as a pick and pop guy when, why is Patrick Patterson ever on the team? But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's the major change a lot on the offensive end there. And then you're looking at guys like um, like Reggie Jackson's there, uh, as you said, Patrick Patterson's there, Nick Batum, who everybody had on the scrap heap like six months ago. And they've all come in and bought into what you guys are doing over there. And they've all found like really niche roles. Who has been the biggest surprise? Is it Batum? Has Batum been the guy that really... Yeah, as much as I would like love to make a fun answer here and say like, oh, Reggie Jackson like is making better decisions. That's not the important thing here. The important thing is that Nick Batum was basically left for dead in Charlotte. Uh, he claims that his game has not changed one iota, that he just likes the fit better here, and maybe that's it, but he has been remarkable. Like, you you talk about how great Kawhi and PG are on the wing defensively. Like, they can switch with Nick, too, <clears throat> because he's just another guy who can handle most of those assignments. Like, obviously, the Nets were tough for him. The Nets are going to be tough for anybody. But, like, against an average team, <laughs> he's pretty great. Uh, and he's shooting the ball really confidently, and he's just... Uh, one of those connectors on the offensive end, like he knows how to move off the ball. If a possession is stalling, he knows like where to cut. He knows where to make the next pass. He's uh, just really solid in terms of, it sounds super cliche to make, but like he doesn't make bad decisions. And uh, it helps to have somebody like that who you trust on both ends of the floor, because for all of the talent the Clippers had last season, most of it was one way. Like, yeah, you know, we like Zubac in this assignment defensively, or like we like Zubac, you know, rolling down and, taking care of this off- offensive assignment, but like he can't stretch or, you know, garden space on defense or like we like Lou Williams, but he can't guard on the other end. Right. And then Nick Batum just gives a, another two way guy who fits in like every lineup they're using, right? Like he can play in a traditional lineup with the center. He can play like a small ball lineup too. And uh, I think it's a little interesting that they've only used him at the four. Uh, I, I thought he would have more like wing ability at this point in his career, but Ty has been very clear that he's a forward. That's it. Like, we're not moving him down. Uh, but yeah, it's it's got to be Batum. Um, what about you guys? What Who on the Celtics is uh, someone um, that the Clippers probably haven't been paying attention to? Uh, Peyton Pritchard, but he's not playing. Um, right. He was a revelation. Uh, he's been amazing. 
at the moment. Obviously, it's a short, short, small sample size. He's going to hit that rocky wall if you're being realistic with things. And that's probably going to come sooner because the season's so truncated. Outside of him, um, there isn't really anyone, to be quite honest. Uh, Grant Williams, who done really well as a small ball five last year, has struggled. Um, he started to piece it back together slowly. But because of the big man rotation that's there now in Daniel Tice, Robert Williams and Tristan Thompson, Grant Williams is being asked to play at the four more than what he was last year. And I don't think he's got the lateral quickness to hang with some starting level forwards and wings. And he's been exposed a little bit. I, I, he's figuring it out. He has the IQ. It's all about angles for him and knowing where to position his body for that to force direction. And as he gets used to that, that'll be fine. The only other guy is Daniel Tice. He's just, um, he's improved so much as a three point shooter, as a pick and pop threat himself. Uh, he doesn't bring the physicality that Ibaka does, but I think he brings a little bit more maneuverability. He can, he can maneuver the court a little bit more fluidly than Ibaka can just because of the frame difference. Uh, ideally, I'd still choose Ibaka if I was being completely <laughs> honest. Um, who wouldn't, right? But I don't think there's outside of the normal suspects, especially because there's so many people injured. There's not really anyone that's going to come out and surprise the Clippers unless Jeff Teague has a good day. And that will surprise everybody, not just Clippers. <laughs> that will surprise everybody. Yeah. How has the Tristan Thompson experience been? Because obviously Ty Lue is very familiar with his game, but uh, I, I'm going to be honest, I had not paid much attention to him in Cleveland the last couple of years. Which is fair, right? I mean, not many people yeah. have paid much attention. Um, honestly, he came into the season, he was carrying a bit of an injury. He missed um, a bit of the preseason. And then personally, I think what's happened is he's came back a bit too early and played through that injury. And that's really limited his impact on both sides of the floor. Uh, the last two games, he started to score more because he was having some games where he was putting up like two points, four points, and being a net negative on defense too because he just couldn't rotate quick enough or guys would blow by him. The last two games, he's looked far more physical and a lot more engaged vocally as well. Uh, he's directing traffic. He's making sure he's on his man. He's uh, playing a lot of belly up on guys that uh, he thinks that are going to be pick and pop threats, which is what I'd expect to see against Ibaka. And he's looked great, to be quite honest, over the last, but it's again, it's a two-game sample size. So I'm hoping that he's turned a corner. But to, to be quite honest, there was a lot of Celtics fans over the first 10 games that was a uh, very upset that Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson had both came in and both looked really poor. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the vocal thing. Like that's one of the things on the Clippers where when Beverly's out, nobody really talks on the team. Like they they basically like communicate just enough to know what they're doing on defense, but nobody's like super vocal. Uh, I think being back in Staples Center is going to help a little bit because at least Pat will be on the sidelines, you know, yelling through his mask. But and it's impossible not to hear it. Like true. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's one thing that the Clippers, like, uh, when you talk about their lack of leadership, so to speak, like, I don't believe that's actually a thing, but I do believe that they do need guys to just be a little bit louder on the court because there's, they could use, like, a smidge more communication. So it's something that, that's interesting you brought up about Tristan. Yeah, I mean, watching through a TV, you kind of, um, especially for me, because I'm not ever going to be, in, well, I might be, but not often in the stadium. Um, for me, I look out for where they're pointing, if they're on defense and they're telling, like dragging guys into position, shouting out sets, go back there. You see Marcus Smart do it a lot. Um, and then I was very keen to see how Thompson did that in Smart's absence because now that's his role. He's coming mm -hmm. as the veteran defensive presence and he looks really good. He didn't play the last 14 minutes of the game against the Kings. A lot of people are saying that was a Brad Stevens mistake because they lost the game. I'm looking at it as, if he has only just realistically got over this injury, then 
sitting him for the last quarter, meaning making sure he's fresh for the Clippers game, is probably smart coaching in the long term. I'd much rather lose to the Kings on a game where you've pulled him out early than lose to the Clippers on a game where he's played the entire way through. Uh, just being completely honest, the one thing that I am concerned about with you guys is the shooting. The Celtics added some guys through the draft in Pritchard, Neesmith. Uh, they brought in Teague to add some penetration to free these shooters up. And realistically, only Semi Ojale scoring off the bench from deep. Uh, and that's a problem. You guys just have so much spacing where you can run five out, you can run four out, and stretch defense is really wide. The Celtics are going to go the other way. They're going to look to penetrate very regularly after high pick and rolls and then find open guys on the corners or secondary slashes off the wing. Have you come up against many teams that like to penetrate that much? I'm trying to think. Um, on this recent trip, uh, not really. Like uh, Orlando, Miami, um, even the Knicks, like, and Brooklyn doesn't really do a lot of like driving. Do they do drive? I guess James Harden does that. They do ISO and maybe dish do. at the very end of the shot clock. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Harden's been doing some driving kick, but yeah, uh, it's. I mean, I do think that point of attack defense is probably like the the lone weakness on the Clippers' defensive unit. Um, but again, like your penetrating is not going to be coming from the point guard spot as much, right? It's going to be coming from the wings with Jalen and Jason. So. Yep, that's exactly, where yeah. the Clippers so are very gonna... well suited to, you know, defend those yeah. two guys because the best two wing defenders in the league, arguably. <laughs> so I... <laughs> and two of the best wing scorers in the league. Like you, your two star wings, as you said, are just a f- Jason and Jaden a few years further along. And this is why I like going up against the Clippers because you can see the growth from Jalen and Jason in the way they attack and how they. Like when they first played against Kawhi and PG, you could see there were struggles. They were trying to figure out how to get open, mm-hmm. how to get their looks. And then it got easier. Then you had the PG slip, um, which Celtics fans will tell you was an, a nasty crossover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you know, just social media will do that for you. Yeah, I, I just um, think of it as one of the first games Paul George is playing all season. You know, just last his footing. <laughs> yeah, but it was just one of those things. Uh, obviously, if you go back and watch, it was a slip. But um, no, it was definitely a crossover. Um <laughs> But yeah, so you can see them slowly figuring stuff out. And I'm very keen to see how they handle going up against PG and Kawhi at this level because they've been operating on a really high level, right? I read one of your pieces earlier and you kind of stated the fact that this is some of the best basketball you've seen Kawhi and PG play together Mm -hmm. since they've been in LA. What are they doing so good? Is it just the fact that they're making shots at a higher percentage or have they upped their game in other aspects as well? So, I mean, the, sh- the shooting, you have to mention it because the Clippers are shooting over 42% from three, which I, I keep saying doesn't feel sustainable. But then I look at the shots they're getting and it's like, yeah, you know, if Marcus Morris is open from the corner, he should make that. Like if Nicholas Batum doesn't have a defender within eight feet of him, he should make that shot, right? And those are the kinds of looks they're getting over and over again. Um, and they're shooting like 51% from the corners, which what in the world? Like why are they getting that many corner threes and why are they making that many? But I really do think a lot of it is just a function of, the offensive system, right? Like Ty Lue is putting them in position to succeed by giving them so much space to work with, by putting the ball in their hands and letting them work through their mistakes. Um, with Paul, I think he's, uh, his playmaking is not at the same level as Kawhi's, uh, but I mean, it's, it's still pretty good, uh, but he's just been emboldened a lot more. Like I mentioned that Frank Vogel story earlier, like Ty Lue just lets him work through all of his mistakes, right? Like his turnover rate is a little bit higher this year than it has been in previous years, which is fine because he's handling the ball a lot more and that is the natural outcome of handling the ball more. Uh, but he just seems so much more confident in those situations where like 
no one's trusted him to be the lead guard before, right? Like he had Westbrook, he had George Hill and all those other guys in Indiana. And even last year, like he was, I would say the third ball handling option on the Clippers, which is strange to say when the second guy was coming off the bench. But Kawhi, I think his passing is just so much sharper. Like he's manipulating the defenses with his eyes. Like, you know, he'll look off the defender and then send the pass in the opposite direction. Um, You know, he's like not making the obvious pass, but like making the skip passes in his He's just like throwing darts all around the court. Like it's, it's impeccable. Like you think that this guy has been doing this level of creation his entire career when really it's been like the last two seasons. Uh, so I would say that Kawhi, a lot of it is individual skill development that he's just become so much smarter at reading defenses. And then Paul George, it's just a matter of him giving the opportunity, you know, to play this way that he hasn't in quite some time. I'm not going to lie, I'm scared of these two guys. Um, <laughs> Most people are. <laughs> I think it's going to be a really tough matchup. Um, Jason Tatum's a very good off-ball defender. Jalen Brown's a, a phenomenal on-ball wing defender. So I think this matchup really makes for must-see TV. The only other guy I really want to ask you about before I kind of let you ask anything you want and then we'll wrap up is what have you seen in differences between Landry Shaman and Luke Kennard? I know that you brought Kennard in with the idea of he can facilitate a little bit more than what Shamit could. He can put the ball on the floor. Has he lived up to that expectation or has he kind of been a, a letdown? I will say relative to Landry Shamit, Luke Kennard has been a godsend because Landry has done not much of anything in Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, I, I think the idea with Luke was that he could be more of a playmaker, more of a creator. And then he's just such a dominant shooter. Like he's been knocking down over 40% of his threes this season too. And that's, again, not like a an outlier that's something that he's been capable of throughout the course of his college and pro career so the, the problem is that it's just it's been difficult to find places for him and Lou to both like have run of the offense because they tried this like Lou um off ball thing where like he's sort of the play finisher instead of the play creator and it's it's just easier for Lou to succeed when the ball is in his hands and so like by staggering him and Luke and then also giving Kawhi and PG room to run the offense, like Luke just gets less opportunities. And what I've discovered about Kennard is that he needs more time to get comfortable. Like he can't just come in and immediately be on in the way that Lou Williams is. And he just hasn't been given as much time in the offense to get comfortable. So you'll see a lot of times like the Clippers are just like imploring him to like, shoot, shoot, be more aggressive, like stop moving the ball. Like uh, uh, it's just like get your own at some time. And it's it's just a learning process, right? Like new team, new system. He hadn't played for a full calendar year before this season started because of injuries that he had in Detroit. So I know that the Clippers like him a lot. They like his talent a lot. Uh, they obviously extended him even before the start of the season. So he's going to be around for the three, four years. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I don't think he's been exactly what Clipper fans would have expected. I mean, I know I thought that he was going to be more dynamic, <clears throat> but he's just been so efficient as a spot-up shooter that like there's going to be a place for him anyway, even if like the whole package hasn't come together yet. And that's the thing, right? Because um, two, three years ago, Detroit looked at him as one of their core rebuild pieces. They didn't want to let mm -hmm. him go for app. I remember there was discussions and a lot of people were like, Kennard won't go unless the return is phenomenal. Then he has that big injury. And obviously they've kind of lost a little bit of faith in his ability to stay healthy and his longevity within the league. And the Clippers go and land a steal, which gives them even more firepower and even more shot creation. The only thing I really think that you guys lost, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is the Montrez and Lou will pick and roll, which was not last year, but the year before when you had that um, awesome series against the Warriors. Um, 
that was a real big weapon and I feel like that was one of the most fun parts about watching Clippers basketball was that bench pick and roll unit between Lou and Montrez. Have you guys missed that? Have you found a new dynamic to kind of get the best out of Lou? Yeah, I think uh, during the regular season, I would totally agree with you. I, I miss watching the two of them together. They're just really fun and they, they work so well because they they play together during the off seasons in Atlanta. Like they're, they're good friends. They figure things out together. It's just a it's a really like copacetic dynamic. You know, they just work incredibly well together. And I'm going to say that the Clippers are perfectly happy that Montrezl Harrell is no longer on the team if it meant like sacrificing him for Ibaka because in a postseason setting, there's definitely one guy you'd rather have and it's the one who can defend the rim and hit threes and that is not Montrez Harrell. But I mean, the fact that Lou Williams has had a slow start to the season, I think is inextricable from the fact that Montrez Harrell is no longer there because yeah, he can do a little pick and roll with Zubach, but Zubach's hands aren't quite as good as Montrez's is. Like he doesn't catch things as cleanly as Montrez does. So Lou can't hit him with every angle of pass that he used to, you know, get with Montrez. Um, they do a little bit more like uh, DHOs with Lou and Zoo than they did straight pick and roll just because it's, you know, that that requires less handling from uh, Zoo's perspective. Um, uh, I also think that, yeah, just like like I was mentioning with the second unit, you know, like having that additional ball handler and Luke and then also playing Reggie Jackson a little bit like they just that second unit has had some minor difficulties. Right. I'm not going to say that, like, they've been a, a cause for concern or anything, but uh, there's just a lot of similar type players who all want to operate similarly and the take turn thing is is a little challenging so yeah I mean I'm not worried about Lou at all like you put him with the starters and it's like magnificent fit all over again (laughs) um and you know Zoo has just had a harder time being as effective on offense because he's cleaning up all of these fires on the defensive end with all these little cards in front of him so yeah I I I don't think they miss Montrez in the sense that like they're going to need him down the stretch but like just from a pure like 82 game perspective, I want to watch this guy play every single day. Like, yeah, it's different. Yeah. That was honestly, uh, obviously I don't catch every Clippers game, but the mm-hmm. ones that I did watch, that was always one of the things that I came away. Like, that was really enjoyable watching these two work yeah. off each other. And then that, that run. And you guys lost your Michael Green as well. That's correct. <clears throat> that I think is a absence uh, that the Clippers will feel a little bit more fondly because, uh, he's a decent defender at those four or five spots. And I know Denver quite likes having him around, but um, that was just a matter of money, right? Like they couldn't afford to pay him and Morris and then also use their mid-level to sign Ibaka. So they prioritized Morris and Ibaka. And uh, I'm sure there are Clipper fans. Uh, I'm among them who would have rather had Green than Morris, but hey, you know, you make your decisions. And I think if the overall end game was getting Ibaka, then it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Marcus Morris heat checks are a thing of legend. <laughs> yeah, he was a, a Celtic for a, a minute there, right? Yeah, yeah, we got lots of Marcus yeah. Morris heat checks. They were, um, they were a thing. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't miss them. I, I do think Marcus Morris was quite good. I like the, the energy he brought and the defensive intensity, but I do not miss him just firing away at will. Um, does yeah, he do that uh, for you guys? So Ty Lue has this thing where he, um, doesn't want Marcus to force it. So every time he's on the court, he'll run the after timeout play for him. So like he knows he's getting a shot there. Uh, just like, you know, keep him involved a little bit. Uh, which I think is nice, you know. So it's like, like the, uh, pacif- the pacifier for the baby. I I totally get it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, there there are some possessions where like you know uh, you look down for a second, all of a sudden Clippers don't have the ball again, and it's like there was only like six seconds off the shot clock. What happened? It's like oh, Marcus took a jumper. <laughs> That's okay. All right. I hope you enjoyed that preview for Clippers Celtics. Thanks again to Adam for all of his insight on Boston. You can catch 
all of the SB Nation Celtics coverage on CelticsBlog.com. And make sure you're tuned into Clips Nation for all of our coverage, not just for this game, but everything else during the regular season and beyond. Make sure you're subscribed to the Clips Nation podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Rate and review. We love those five stars. And I'll catch you later.